Is there a desire in you to not just attend revival, but live in revival? Welcome to the Revival Lifestyle Podcast. I'm your host, Isaiah Saldivar. I've been in revival for the last 10 years, as well as traveling and being a part of many revivals throughout the United States. I'm going to be sharing with you how to live a radical lifestyle of revival on a daily basis. Okay, here we go. The book of John, part one. Be excited. Let's make this thing fun tonight. Let's get in the word of God. One of the goals is to make the word of God get you excited about it, get you passionate about it. The word of God is not dead. It's not boring. It's not dull. It's not some historical manuscript that doesn't have any power anymore. It is alive. It is sharper than any two-edged sword. And there's transforming power as we get in the word of God tonight. So I want you to be excited. Get your Bibles out. We are on book of John, part one. If you don't know, we're on an endless journey, an endless quest, an endless adventure to preach every verse in the New Testament, type it in the chat, on live stream, on YouTube, okay? That's the goal, and it's gonna take me a few years. But if you don't know, we've already done every verse out of Revelation. We've done the book of Acts, every verse, the book of Romans, every verse, book of Ephesians, every verse, book of Philippians, every verse, book of Colossians, every verse. One day, we will have a playlist of every single New Testament verse on YouTube, and hopefully it'll be around for the next 20, 30, 40 years. Who knows if the Lord tarries, but that's the goal. That's what we're doing verse by verse. It's an interactive Bible study, verse by verse format. We're using the New King James Version tonight. So if you're like, what version are we using New King James Version. There's a lot of great versions. I like the NLT. I like the ESV. But when it comes to studying and getting it verse by verse, I like the New King James Version. It just seems to be the best in my opinion. About the book of John, the first three books, just give you a quick rundown. And I'm going to take my time. I, I have a tendency to try to rush through, but I don't know what I'm rushing for. The first three books, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, are called the Synoptic Gospels. Okay, They're similar in the content and the approach. John, the fourth book, is not considered a synoptic gospel, and it doesn't cover as many events, but includes more of Jesus' teachings. And unlike the other gospels, John skips the birth of Jesus and goes directly into his public ministry. John chapter 1, which we'll cover tonight, probably one of my favorite chapters in the whole Bible, much different approach than Matthew, Mark, and Luke. John's the son of Zebedee and Salome and the brother of James. He was a fisherman on the Sea of Galilee when Jesus called him as one of the first disciples. He was one of the inner circle. If you don't know, Jesus had an inner circle who were privileged to be there during special events like the Mount Transfiguration. That was Peter, James, and John. He was an eyewitness to the events and the teachings of Jesus. He wrote that that he writes about in this book. He was also called the disciple whom Jesus loved. Now, one thing that I love is John writes in his gospel that he was a disciple whom Jesus loved. So that's kind of funny. If I wrote a book like, I'm Isaiah, the one that Jesus loves, John went ahead and wrote that in there. He's the one that leaned on the chest at the last Passover dinner before Jesus' death. He was also the one that Jesus asked to take care of his mother after Jesus died. Next to Paul, John wrote more New Testament books than anyone else. He wrote the Gospel of John. Again, we're just at school today. Where This is Professor Isaiah tonight, okay? Gospel of John, 1 John, 2 John, 3 John, and also wrote the book of Revelation which if you don't know, I love John. My two favorite books of the Bible are John and Revelation and John wrote both of them. So I love his writing style. I love his revelation. It's believed that the book of John was written around 85 to 90 AD. So like, think about this when we're going over this, 80 to 90 years after Jesus died, John pens this book. One of the reasons why they took so long is because they thought that Jesus was coming right back. When Jesus said, I'm coming back for you, they thought he was coming right back. So they're like, why are we going to write these books and and these stories of Jesus if he was going to come right back? Well, years passed, 80 to 90 years, Jesus didn't come back. And so they start 
chronicling, writing down, Mark being the first believed, the first book written of the Gospels, the four Gospels, and then John writes it about 80 to 90 years after Jesus dies, around 85 to 90 AD. We don't know the exact date, but that's around the time. I would say that John's gospel is more revelatory than it is systematic. So we're going to try a new approach here. We are going to pull up the Bible and do this verse by verse, and then we'll teach it once the verse is done. Type one if you like this, because some of you don't have a Bible on you. And so this was probably going to be better for your style because I'll be able to show you it word for word. And then we'll jump back to this screen and go over it. And then we'll jump back to this screen. And that's kind of the way we're going to do it. So type one in the chat if you like that new format. We'll keep it open and then we'll go back and then we'll put it open and every time we read from it we'll have it right open so we can read word for word for those of you that don't have bibles on you you're gonna have a bible on the screen it's a lot of buttons for me so i don't know how much i'll manage it but if if we get the hang of it then it's gonna be good okay so we're gonna go john i want to see how i want you to see how john starts john 1 1 do not miss this this is very very important john 1 1 through 2 in the beginning was the word and the word was with god and the word was god okay so notice the word, this is very clear, was with God and the word was God. Verse two, he was in the beginning with God. Okay, so John is laying out, we know, of the what the word is. In other words, Jesus did not come into existence when he came to earth, but actually Jesus is God. Jesus is, this is what John is saying, Jesus is creator God. There's no arguing this. There's no debating this. The word was with God and the word was God. So, we have a lot of people saying Jesus is not God. A lot of Muslims say Jesus never claimed to be God. Uh, John chapter 1 verse 1. The word was God. There's no debating it. There's no arguing it. There's no, well in the Greek, it, it, none of it. It's the word was God. So Jesus wasn't, wasn't just God when he came into existence. Jesus is creator God and he was there in the beginning. Let us make man in our own image. We see the Trinity right there in the beginning, the full picture of the Godhead. Now, as readers would have recognized the wording because Genesis opens up with the same phrase. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. So in the beginning, God, and then John 1, 1, in the beginning was the word. So now John 1 is almost opening up exactly same words as Genesis chapter 1. Now some people again say Jesus never claimed to be God, but John 1 clearly says the word, and the word is not the Bible. Let me make this very clear. There's a lot of people that worship the Bible. They pray to the Bible. Everything is about the Bible. Where's that in the Bible? This isn't in the Bible. They they cling to the Bible. They resist the move of the Holy Spirit in the name of, well, that's not explicitly in scripture, so it must not be God. But understand, all of the Bible's in God, but not all of God is in the Bible. John's gonna tell us this towards the end, that there's many things that Jesus did was not in the Bible. So we don't pray, and this makes people mad. People get mad when I, I post a short video. Are you heretic, what do you mean? I literally posted a video saying we don't pray to the Bible. We don't worship the Bible. We pray and worship the word, but the word is Jesus. Very clear. The word is Jesus, not the scriptures. The scripture is not what this is referring to. The Greek word logos, translated word, means the spoken word that communicates meaning or a message. So Jesus communicated to the earth. I'm going to try to go slow and keep it simple. What God is like. God's actions, God's thoughts, God's feelings, and God's attitudes. So Jesus was in the beginning with God. And unlike us, he's always existed. Jesus' life did not begin when he was born as a baby on the earth. Jesus has always existed. He's existed before time was even established. The word with indicates a personal relationship between two or more people. In other words, they are both God, 
but not two different gods. So yes, Jesus is God and Jesus is and was divine even when he walked on the earth. Jesus never forfeited his divinity. We just learned about this last week. Jesus kept his divine nature. He gave up some divine privileges, the Bible says, but Jesus was, is, and will always be God. Right here, you could tell every Muslim that says Jesus never claimed to be God, he's a good prophet. He's absolutely God. He is the word. He was the word and he will always continue to be the word. And the word here that John is stating, again, the word here is not the Bible. The word is Jesus. Okay, let's keep going here. All things, verse three, all things were made through him and without him, nothing was made that was made. So all things were made through him and nothing was made that has been made. So Jesus was, write this down, God's agent in creation. Jesus was God's agent in creating everything, light, darkness, sky, water, land, vegetation, animals, stars, moons, birds, fish, people, everything that is in this world, even before he was born as a human, he showed us what God was like through creation. And this is going to be the theme of this chapter that we go over tonight, is that Jesus is portraying to us what God is like. We serve this almighty invisible God Jesus comes as the visible image of the invisible God now when Jesus leaves he sends the Holy Spirit so that now we can manifest his attributes to the world and the world might not be able to see God in the natural but they can see you that is why the Bible says this is good preaching tonight that we are written epistles read by all men so now we are carrying out the will of God the plan of God if people meet me they should know what Jesus is like I'm, I'm striving in sanctification to be more like Christ. I'm striving to be more like Jesus. So my friends at work could see Jesus. So my friends at school could see Jesus. So my family, how are they gonna see Jesus? I am a Christian, a little Christ, a miniature version of Jesus on the earth. Well, how could I ever be that way? Through the power and the person of the Holy Spirit transforming me. So Jesus comes as the invisible image, uh, as the visible image of the invisible God, the Father, he leaves and says, I'm going to send the Holy Spirit so that now you can be the, the visible image of me, the, the God who is now at the right hand of the Father. So we're called to be like Jesus in every situation. Even before he was born as a human, he shows what God was like through creation. One commentator said this, John is declaring this amazing truth in all its fullness and glory. Jesus Christ actually existed before the world began. How then was he? John makes it clear that he was and is the son of God eternal with the father. John also points out that he was the creator. This is difficult to understand with our finite minds. We cannot grasp the operation of almighty God in the creation of the world. One of the ways in which the believer understands God is to be separate, his persons and functions. In his gospel, John is declaring that the son of God is the maker of all that was created. Very, very clear. He's the maker of everything created. There's nothing that's been created that has not been created through Jesus, okay? John 1, 4 through 5. Here we go. In him was life, and the light, look at this, and the life was the light of men, and the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness did not comprehend it. Let me say this again. In him was life, and the life, pay attention to this, was the light of men, and that light, which is also the life, shines in the darkness and the darkness did not comprehend it or the darkness could not overcome it very very clear here jesus not only showed us god in creation he also so showed us god in the creation of living creatures and people because jesus is the life write that down jesus is the life life both physical and spiritual 
all originates in Jesus, a living and eternal being. Through Jesus, God made his power and his purposes known to people. Again, Jesus being this representative of the Father, this invisible image, but Jesus is the light and the life. Light also originates in Jesus. The purpose of light is to extinguish the darkness. When John used the term light and darkness, he's also referring to good and evil, holiness and sin. He's contrasting. Jesus is light. Jesus is purity. Jesus is holiness. The contrast is the world is in darkness, like literal, real, physical and spiritual darkness, evil. The world is living evil. Jesus comes, brings that holiness, brings that good. So Jesus, who's morally pure, then Jesus being sinless, becomes God's light in a spiritually dark world full of sin, debauchery and evil thoughts, evil attitudes. Remember when God flooded the earth, everybody was evil. God said, everybody, nobody's righteous. Everybody is wicked. The Bible says when the Lord returns, it'll be as in the days of Noah. So everybody's evil. God destroys the earth in a flood, promises to never destroy the earth in a flood again, but he will destroy the earth in a fire and a new earth will come. Now, as we look towards the future, as we're progressing towards the coming of the Lord, Jesus comes back as in the days of Noah, so will it be the second coming of the son of man. When everyone's eating and drinking, saying everything's fine, then suddenly calamity comes. But not only will it be everyone eating and drinking, everything's fine, what will the state of the world be as we progress towards the coming of the Lord? We're racing towards judgment right now. You didn't know that. As I'm speaking, and I have a little clock here ticking on how long I've been live, we are racing towards the judgment of God. We are racing towards the coming of the Lord. Every second that passes right now on my little stream clock here of how long I've been streaming is one second closer to the coming of Jesus Christ. Because if you don't know, I'll let you know tonight. There's a real man coming. There is a real Jewish man that is coming on a war horse followed by saints out of heaven to declare all out war on the nations of this earth. There is a real God that's going to pour out his full wrath on the earth. And then there is a man coming to establish a kingdom. So this idea of Jesus coming, it's happening, friend. No, no amount of theology, false doctrine, atheists could shake their fist at God. God isn't real. Oh, he's coming. You're going to see him come in all his glory. That's undeniable. That's completely undebatable. There's a real man coming. So if he's coming and when he comes, it'll be as in the days of Noah, then the world is not going to get better. It's going to actually get worse because in those days was evil, wicked. Every thought the Bible says was evil. Men were wicked except for Noah. And so that's the world we're living in. When we look at the evil and we're pushing back against the evil, we're going to keep pushing. We're going to keep exposing and talking about the evil and exposing it, but it's going to keep getting worse and worse and worse. And the debauchery, the sin, the darkness that we see in the world is going to increase. But Jesus comes as the light. Now, people rejected, the world rejected Jesus and the light and the life, partly because they were used to living in darkness. They were used to sleeping. So imagine it like someone waking you up, opening shades. And have you ever been like sleeping and you're really tired? It's like 7 a.m. and somebody opens up the shades at the hotel that you're at or your bedroom and the light comes in and it hurts your eyes and you beg them, shut that, close that, I'm trying to sleep. Why? Because you've just been all night long in darkness and you're not used to the light. You reject the light. Think about that. You wake up, you're dead asleep in darkness. Somebody opens the shades, the light shines, light good, darkness bad, but you reject the light because you're used to being in the dark. You're comfortable being in the dark. You're comfortable being sleeping. So here's why the world rejected him. Because they didn't, number one, recognize him. Number two, 
they didn't they weren't used to the light they were used to living in darkness and they didn't want anyone telling them they were in darkness nobody wants someone to say hey, you're living in darkness you're wrong so that light illuminates sin that light shows what's wrong in our life that light brings life to us but we're used to living dead this is the crazy thing somebody talked to me in the chat because i'm looking at the chat this is the crazy thing that happens when jesus enters your life is you realize the darkness you once thought was the the dark the darkness you live in you thought was light like i remember the light of christ coming and i thought i thought i was in the light i didn't even know i was unaware that i was living in darkness i was such in darkness so unaware of it and then the light revealed the darkness in my life the moment I got saved, that conviction hits, the light, type this in the chat, the light hits different. The light hits you and you're like, what is this? Everything becomes clear. I remember thinking the cursing, the sexualizing women, the drinking, the partying, all the stuff I was doing bad, okay? You know, my parents are watching, they don't like to hear this. All the stuff I was doing bad, I didn't even think was wrong. I had no conviction, but then the light hit. And the light hits different, man. It hit my life, the light and the life who's Jesus. And then God illuminated and I felt the shame and the guilt of everything I, I did was wrong. I'm like, man, cursing was wrong. The, the way I sexualized people was wrong. The anger, the bitterness, the racism. I was twisted up like an Annie Ann's pretzel. I was literally racist towards my own race. Think about how, how, how much darkness was Isaiah Saldivar in when I was racist towards my race like how dark is that darkness if you live in darkness yet i thought it was normal i thought depression anxiety fear was normal and then the light hit and i was like all of this is wrong i felt the dirty like isaiah chapter 6 i'm a man of unclean lips who am i that the lord would encounter me but how was it that i was fine with all of that come on chat talk to me i was fine with all of that before because i was living in darkness People living in darkness many times do not want to be waking up and they hate the light. They initially hate the light. So the world rejected him and also they rejected him and hated him because the Bible says he testified that their works are evil. And we live in a church where we're afraid. We don't want to call anyone sin out. We don't want to say anything bad about anybody. That's literally why they hated Jesus because he testified that their works are evil. He took a stand. He wasn't like these soft jellyfish, no, no backbone pastors out here. He was like, this is wrong. These things are wrong. The way you guys are living is wrong. He called things out. So you got to remember, it doesn't matter how dark things are. John says, the light shines in darkness and the darkness does not comprehend it. A good translation is the darkness does not overcome it. There is no darkness. Listen to me clearly tonight. If you need to turn me up in the TV, then turn me up here. There's no darkness that the light of Christ can illuminate. We are called to shine our light before men so they can see our good works and glorify our Father who's in heaven. This is not about flashlight tag. This is a search mission looking for treasures in darkness. We are not trying to see who has a brighter light. It's like, I'm a thousand lumens, you're 2000 lumens, and then we go to church and shine our lights on each other and we play flashlight tag. This is about shining our light in the darkness, letting our light shine. Where do we let our light shine? Before men, so that what are they going to see? Our good works and glorify our Father who's in heaven. Not glorify us, not praise us, glorify our Father who is in heaven. So we need to stop playing flashlight tag. We need to stop fla flashing our light and look, oh, I'm a Christian, look at me. And we need to start going on the search mission, looking for treasures in darkness. Jesus, the light of the world, offers people a way out of darkness. How incredible is that statement? Jesus, the light of the world, 
offers people a way out of darkness. And, and let me make this very, very clear. I'm preaching the gospel tonight. There is no other way out of darkness. There's no other way to get out of darkness. There's no other way to overcome sin. There's no other way to overcome the dark, deep things that we are involved in as a society than the light and the life. That light shines. That light brings life. The very essence of my being is the light of Christ, the life of Christ. It's shining in the darkness, and the darkness does not comprehend it. Okay, let us look at first our John 1, 6 through 9. There was a man. So now we go from, in him was life, and the life was the light of men, and the light shines in darkness, to John, the witness, the true light. There was a man who was sent from God, whose name was John. This man came from it for a witness to bear witness of the light that all through him might believe. He was not the light. This is very important here. Okay. Look at verse eight. He was not the light, but was sent to bear witness of that light. So John is not the light. John's the witness of the light. We are not the light. We bear witness and let our light, which is his light shine before men. Verse nine. That was the true light, which gives light to everyone, every man coming into the world. So here we have John here. John the Baptist, not, not John, the author of this book. This is John the Baptist, Jesus's cousin. God chose him. God, basically John, God gives John the Baptist a specific ministry to prepare the Jewish people for Jesus's coming, his first coming and to point people to Jesus. His job was to identify to people, to Jesus, to the people as the light, to introduce him to the Jewish pe people and get the world ready for the ministry of Jesus. John is what we call a forerunner. A forerunner, he's preparing the way. He's going and preparing the way for the Lord. He's not the Lord. He's not the light. He's preparing the way. And in, in, a, in a sense, we're also fulfilling a ministry of John the Baptist of being forerunners, not for the first coming, but crying out being forerunners for the second coming. So we are preparing as I'm preaching tonight, like literally as I'm preaching tonight, I am preparing you for the coming of the Lord. I'm preparing you for Jesus coming back. We're getting ready. We're getting oil in our lamps and we're, we're getting prepared for the coming of the Lord. John preached, this was his message, that the long-awaited promised Messiah who is written about in the Hebrew scriptures had come. John goes, he's here. We've been waiting. This is the Messiah. He also called people to repentance from their sin. His goal was this, get people to trust Jesus the Messiah as their salvation from their sin. So he's preaching repent, which we need to do a video on repentance because there seems to be a lot of confusion in the body of Christ on repentance. Repentance means to change your mind about something. Okay, change your mind about something. It, it results in changing direction, but that's not what it means. It means to change your mind. So in order to be saved and to receive Christ, you must repent because you must change your mind about him. So here's what very basic, very simple. Why is John preaching repent? The Jewish people are looking for the Messiah. Okay, they don't think Jesus is the Messiah. John comes and says, you need to repent, change your mind about what? The what? The way you think of Jesus, the way you think of the Messiah, you think the Messiah is coming this way. You're wrong. Change your mind. Recognize Jesus as the Jewish Messiah. Well, really the Messiah for all of mankind, but he's preaching to the Jewish people. Recognize Jesus as the Messiah. Repent. You're thinking wrong. So we repent of sin. I repent daily. It's not that I go, Lord, I, I, this, is, this is not what I mean by repent daily. I don't go before God every single day and say, I repent of doing this. I repent of doing this. I repent of being bitter or anxious or mad or whatever it is. As I'm reading the word of God, this is very, I'm going to take my time on this. As I'm reading the word of God, as I'm praying, I'm changing my mind. I'm going, wow, I'm wrong. 
the way I think is wrong, the way I talk is wrong, the way that I act is wrong, my behavior, my addictions, my appetites, fill in the blank, is wrong. As I'm reading and praying daily, I'm repenting. Not a religious ceremony. It's not a work. Okay, repentance is not a work. Be clear. It's a thing that's happening as I'm regenerating, renewing my mind in the word of God. My mind is changing. Every time my mind changes, that's repentance. I've repented, okay? So if I'm like, oh, this isn't that bad. I'm like, oh, wait, this is really bad. That's repentance. So it's not this work that I have to do. And Lord, I repent for this. It's changing my mind. Now you can go to God and say, I repent of this. Lord, change my mind on this. Change my mind. Help me break. You can do that. It's not bad to do that. But a repentance is a changing of the mind. So John is testifying. Now the light John testified about was Jesus, okay, who gives light to every man. As the true light, what does Jesus do? He reveals people's sin. This is the whole talk of light, light, revealing sin, revealing darkness, revealing wrong. Now John draws attention to Jesus, not himself. And this is the opposite of how we are. We want to make sure everybody likes us, gives us credit, we're the center of attention. Not John. Okay, John did have large crowds, but John's pointing to a greater reality. He doesn't want people to notice John. He wants people to notice Jesus. And this is something I strive to do. Like, Lord, how do I reach people and do this? But I don't want, I don't want to be the guy that they look to. I want to keep pointing people to Jesus. Now, it's not wrong to have a large following or be famous. Jesus was famous. John the Baptist was famous. What's wrong is, pay attention to what I'm going to say here, when the light that shines on you is greater than the light that is shining out of you. So if there's a massive spotlight on me and I have a million followers on social media, that's a big light. That's a big spotlight shining on Isaiah Salivar. I need to make sure that the light that shines out of me is greater than the light that is shining, shining on me. So I want to keep making sure all of our events, hey, don't wait for me to pray for you. We have a prayer team. This is not about Isaiah. I always joke and say, I can't save anything. The only thing I've ever saved is $100 a month switching to Geico. These are jokes I make. The point of it all is not a joke. I want to keep pointing you to Jesus. What are we doing tonight? Am I saying, hey, follow my vlog and look at my new this and my new car and my new this and come follow me and making videos all about me? None of my videos are about me. Every single video on my Instagram, on my Facebook, on my YouTube, everything is Bible teaching, Christian content. Jesus, Jesus. Why? Because I'm trying to do my best to point people to Jesus. Okay, don't follow me. Now, the other thing is Paul said, follow me as I follow Christ. Okay, so you could follow me, but no, I'm following Christ. So that's what it's all about is shining the light, letting our light shine. So what Jesus said before men, but when our light shines, they could see your works. This is what Jesus said, but they'll glorify your father who's in heaven. So I do have a light that shines and I do works. But when you guys see it, you glorify father. Thank you, Lord, for what Isaiah is doing. Or thank you, Lord, for what Jeremy's doing. Or Corey or Manuel or Cruz or Alita or Tina or Tawny or Giovanni. Thank you, Lord, for what they're doing. Let Their light is shining, but I'm bringing, it brings me glory to the Father. I never look at what you guys are doing and say, Lord, thank you for so-and-so, the work and this. I, I thank you, Father. I glorify the Father. I don't pray to you. I don't worship you. No one prays in Isaiah's name. Isaiah's name has no power. John the Baptist's name has no power. Praying in a disciple's name, St. Peter, none of that has power. In Jesus' name, we glorify, we lift up Jesus. This is what John was doing. John was pointing to something. So our life should be a sign pointing to Jesus. A sign simply points to a greater reality. Okay, a stop sign, for example. The stop sign is not the greater reality. The stop sign is pointing to a greater reality. The greater reality is 
you need to stop or you're going to wreck. Okay, so if you see an arrow sign pointing right, the sign's pointing to the reality, and the reality is there's a turn, so you better turn or else you're going to go off the cliff. So we're just signs, but we're not the reality. We're pointing to the greater reality, and this was John the Baptist pointing to this greater reality who is Jesus. Okay, let's look at here. John 1, 10 through 13. So this is now we're going to go to talk about Jesus. Okay, we talked about John. He was in the world and the world was made through him. So we're reiterating, my tongue got twisted there, this. The world was made through him and the world did not know him. This is very important and sad. Verse 11, he came to his own and his own did not receive him. But as many as received him, to them he gave the right. This is very important. I'm going to break this down. To them who did receive him. He gave them right to become, what I highlighted, children of God. But notice what it says here. He gave them the right. And I'll talk about this in a second. He gave them the right. So we're not children of God until we get the right to be children of God. So here, very this one line is very important. To those, now who is he giving it to? As many as received him. And, important, to those who believe in his name. To those who believe in his name. Who were born not of blood. So this is not a natural birth. Okay nor of the will of the flesh. So no one decided like, we're going to have a baby. It's not the will of the flesh, nor of the will of a man. Again, no one's deciding this, but of God. Who decided? This is good. This is, this is, I'm getting this as we're going here as well. Who decided that we got the right to become children of God? Not a blood, not a will of the flesh, not will of the man, but of God. God is the one deciding. God is the one that has the say here. Well, who, who's born and what? So again, This was created. Jesus becomes a man, lived in our world. Okay, so he came to his very own. And although he created humans, the people of his day didn't know who he was. They didn't know him as a friend. They didn't have a relationship with him because they're blinded by sin. So they did not believe he's the promised Messiah. So this is what he's saying. He was in the world. And although the world was made through him, the world did not recognize or know him. So when he says he came to his own, it's talking about his own world. Jesus, are y'all tracking? Is this good? Jesus came to his own, his own world, his own people. I never caught this until I was studying. His own family. He created it. It was his. When he entered the world as a baby, this was his world that he created. And the very world he created rejected him. Rejected him. Think about you being a potter or being a master craftsman and you create this little world or, you know, say you build a, le- a big Lego city and somehow, okay, this is, I'm being facetious here. You make that Lego city come alive. Okay. You built the Lego city. You know, all the little characters, you know, I, obviously I have four kids. So I'm, I'm speaking Lego because I have Legos all over my house right now. You build a Lego city. Somehow you make it come alive and you put all this work, all this time, all this energy into this Lego city and then you animate it. And then the whole city rejects you. They don't care about you. They don't love you. They don't know you. You're like, what? I literally made this city. I made these little Lego people that are now alive and they reject me. And you go into that little Lego city or world and you become a Lego figurine and they all reject you. And you're like, I made you guys. How sad, how sad did this make Jesus? Comes to his own people. He chooses to be, become a Jew. 
And sadly, the leaders of the Jewish nation and many of his own Jewish people, as well as the Gentiles, rejected him instead of welcoming him. They did not believe that he was the Messiah that God had promised him. So I'm, I know it sounds like a funny story, but I'm giving you a picture of, and I'm a dad of four small girls, I'm giving you a picture of what was it like coming to your own world that you created and they reject you. Now, although most of the Jewish people rejected Jesus, some did receive him, some did trust in him as a sacrifice to sin. And as a result, here's what happened. Those that received him, this is what happened. They become children of God. To use the phrase later he'll talk is being, they were born again, which we'll cover obviously. So in this passage, John equates believing with receiving. So belief is more than a mental assent. It is an actual real thing that when you believe. Now I want to notice and I want to key in on something. John says, this is going to clear up a lot of confusion in teaching people do. John says, Jesus gave the right to become children of God. No one, write this down, no one automatically or naturally belongs to God. That relationship is only from God giving a right. So you're not born into it. It's like, I'm, I'm American or I'm Muslim or Jewish or Christian or whatever. You're not like born into this. Like I'm born a child of God. You're not born a child of God. We're by default, not children of God. In fact, the Bible says we're children of the devil. Jesus came and accused the Pharisees of that. Jesus said, I've been translated you from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of, or the Bible says, Jesus has translated us from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of light. John says, if you continue on sinning, you're just like your father, the devil, who's been sinning from the very beginning. So this is not an automatic thing. We do not become children of God because our parents are children of God. Instead, this is a supernatural gift. Through faith in Jesus, we receive it. So we have to receive that gift and we demonstrate that we believe it's real. And the word belief and its variant believed, believing, were very important in this book. John uses these words 88 times in this book. So John wants his readers to know and believe, not just know, but he wants them to know, I'm sorry, he wants them to believe that Jesus was God's son. It matters, chat, please listen to me tonight. It matters that you believe Jesus is the son of God. It matters that you believe Jesus is the only way to the father. So when we believe on him, when we receive him, the Bible says, believe on his name, then we become God's adopted children. Okay, let me, let me talk about something else is why I hear all the time online. The once saved, always saved people, which by the way, I am not once saved, always saved because I don't believe it's anywhere in the Bible, but the once saved, always saved people that if you ask them, you know, if I'm a true Christian, is it possible for me to turn away? They'll say, no, you can't turn away. Once you're saved, you can never turn from God, which obviously makes absolutely no sense. It's not biblical. The Bible talks about branches cutting off. It talks about people apostate that turn from God. It talks about names being blotted out. It talks about all these areas where we know you can be saved, serve God, follow God, and then turn away from the faith. It's all over throughout the scripture. That's literally the story of the Old Testament. The children of God kept turning away from God. That's a whole nother topic. They say, well, there's no way once saved, always saved is true because once I'm a child of God, how could I unbe a child of God? That's like a sh the strong argument. They're like, oh, we got him now. Once I'm a child of God, how could I, how, can you abandon your son and him not be a child anymore? Very, very simple. Tell the once saved, always saved people, you lose the right. Okay, very simple. You lose the right. Just like you can lose, just like your dri you have your driver's license and you can lose the right to drive. They can take it from you. You lose your right to be his child. God extends and God reserves the right to extend to whoever he wants the right to be his child. So if you receive him and you believe on his name, you get the right to become a child of God. But what happens if you reject him and you turn away from him? You lose the right. 
Now, and John says this in 1 John, now you go from being a child of God, living for God, to sinning and sinning and sinning, to being a child of Satan. How could I go from being a child of God to a child of Satan? Easy. You rejected him. You turned from him. And you've lost the right. You've been given the right, according to John 1, and you've lost the right. One commentator said this about what we just read. We translate the opening words, or we might translate these opening words with, Jesus came home. When the word came to his world, which is Jesus is the word, remember, he did not come as an alien. He came home. And that's very powerful. Let me say that again. This is a commentator. He said, when the word came to his world, he did not come as an alien. He came home. Moreover, he came to Israel. He had come, if he had come to some other nation, it would have been bad enough. But Israel was his own people. The word did not go where he could not have expected to be known. He came home where the people should have known him. And what happened when he came to his very own? They rejected him as their Messiah. They did not want to believe in him. They did not want to trust in him. So let's look now here, okay, at John 1.14. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory, the glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. Very important here. The word. So now, because remember, a lot before people say, well, how do we know that the word is Jesus, brother? And the logos might be the written word. And maybe it didn't really mean Jesus. And maybe it wasn't talking about the, maybe it was the Bible. And right, we have all these false doctrines of who the word is. Right here, John 1, 14, we will no longer have any debates or arguments for the rest of time. We're going to find out who the word is in case you've been confused or you've been following some false doctrine. And the word became flesh. Let me highlight it here. Flesh and dwelt among us. And we beheld his glory. The glory, the glory. and who is he? The only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. So we know the, the word became flesh and dwelt among us. Who's the word? The word is Jesus. Jesus came and dwelt among us. Jesus, the eternal God, at a specific point in time, lived among, lived among humans. Now, Jesus is still alive in heaven. But for a specific time, he lived among humans. But without losing his deity, he still was and is God. So he became one of us, be, dwelt among us, became one of us in the flesh, while at the same time remaining God. And this is what we call the incarnation. And this verse, John equates the word with Jesus, clearly defining who the word is. Very clear who the word is. John says, we beheld the glory as of the only begotten son of the father. And John says, we, John talking about himself is an eyewitness to the uniqueness and the awesomeness of the son of God. Who here, who's, here's how John defines him, full of grace and truth. So for John to say that God became a human being, this was a radical concept back in the day. Jewish people believed humans could not become gods and gods cannot become human. That was what the Jewish people believed. Greek philosophers taught that what is invisible is more important than what we can see and touch. So to announce, think about the text, the context here, to announce the word became flesh and dwelt among us was completely unorthodox to people that didn't believe Men could be human, or, or men can become gods, and gods surely cannot become men. Jesus breaks the box, goes completely against what the Jewish people believed, and the Bible says the Word, who is Jesus, becomes flesh and makes his dwelling among, among us. Jesus, fully God, 100%, and fully man, 100%. And the interesting is because he became a man, he understands our temptations, our limitations, 
and helps us get through things that we think are impossible. We look at Jesus and say, how do you understand what I'm going through? You weren't a man. And Jesus goes, I was fully God and fully man. And there's no temptation. This is what the Bible says, common unto man that you cannot overcome. Jesus, if he can overcome it, he's given us the power in the Holy Spirit so that we can also be overcomers in Christ Jesus. Okay. For uh, John 1, 15 through 18, let's go here. John, now we're going back to talking about John. By the way, we're going to do chapter one tonight, and then the next few or the next weeks we do this, we'll do multiple chapters a night. This is going to be the, probably the longest chapter that we're going to do as the first night in all the books. So just bear with me. We're going to try to get through chapter one tonight, and then we'll do multiple chapters the next weeks. You know, we won't just do one chapter a week because we'll be here until probably Jesus comes back. Verse 15 John bore witness of him and cried out, saying, This was he whom I said, He who comes after me is preferred before me, for he was before me. Now, John is older than Jesus, so John actually was born before Jesus. So look at what John's saying here. He was before me, speaking to the divinity and the divine nature of Jesus. Verse 16, and of his fullness, we have all received and grace for grace. For the law was given through Moses, but grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. So here's the contrast. Moses gives the law, grace and truth comes through Jesus. It's way better than the law. It's way better than the law. Verse 18, no one has seen God at any time very clear okay no one has seen god at any time very important no one's ever seen god the only begotten son who's in the bosom the um the bosom of the father he has declared him so no one's seen him but jesus has declared him okay very very important there so this verse logically follows verses seven and eight continues this narrative of john the baptist who if you didn't know john the baptist has a lot about is a lot has a lot to john has a lot to say about john the baptist in chapter one even though John was born six months before Jesus, began his ministry first, John is saying Jesus is far more important. And, jo and Jesus existed long before, look at this, existed long before John was conceived and was greater than John because Jesus is God. That's what makes him so great is he is God. The statement was radical in Jesus's day because this is what the people believed. Pay attention to this. Whoever was born first chronologically was superior so if you were born before someone, you were superior to them. John goes, even though I was born before Jesus, he was before me. So God gave the law, which was the first five books of the Old Testament, to Moses and the people to show them the standards of behaviors, attitudes, how you should live. And if anyone kept the law, excuse me, although it was impossible, doing so would not make that person a child of God. So in contrast to the law, Jesus shows us God's attitude of love and faithfulness. So you cannot become a child of God through the law Jesus comes, shows us grace and truth, gives us who truly the Father is. And although God is invisible, no man has ever seen God. He made himself known to us. He made himself visible, as I said earlier, to us through Jesus. When Jesus made God known and told God's story, disclosing who he is, giving a trustworthy account about him, John asserts that Jesus is God and existed before he was born on earth. And John's ending section by coming full circle by saying the word was in the beginning with God. One commentator said this, John did not, look, look at this, John did not suggest there was no grace under the law of Moses because there was some grace under the law of Moses. Each sacrifice for sin was an expression of the grace of God. So the fact that they were able to sacrifice in the Old Testament was, was part of the grace of God. The law also revealed God's truth, but in Jesus Christ, grace and truth reached their fullness and the fullness is now available to us john hinted that a whole new order had come in replacing the mosaic system we are not going to see yet the establishing of the new covenant and the new order and the and the order jesus is going to bring 
But John is here hinting at there's a new order coming. There's a new way of doing things coming. The old, thank God, is going out. Behold, the new is coming. So this is what John is alluding to. This is a little bit of what John is talking about, okay? John 1, 19 through 23. Welcome, fruits are life. Said I'm new here. Welcome to the Bible study. Okay, verses 19 through 23. Now, this is the testimony of John. Okay, so now we're going to see John's testimony. When the Jews sent priests and Levites from Jerusalem to ask him, who are you? He confessed and did not deny, but confessed, I am not the Christ. And they, and they asked him, what then are you? Are you Elijah? He said, I am not. Are you the prophet? He answered, no. And they said to him, who are you? That we may give an answer to those who sent us. What do you say about yourself? John, or he said, but it's talking about John the Baptist. He said, I am. The voice, this is what John the Baptist is. The voice of one crying in the wilderness, make straight the way of the Lord as the prophet Isaiah has said. Very important, okay? John the Baptist is not this normal average preacher. John the Baptist, think about this, is living in a desert, eating wild locusts and honey, wearing camel hair robe, and telling people to repent and get their life together. Now, his lifestyle, his personality, his preaching attracted a lot of attention. So this committee of religious people come to him, priests and Levites from Jerusalem. They go out to the desert to John. John, notice, John did not go to the religious people. John is not out there trying to pick at their religious people, poke at. He's out preaching, doing his thing. And like today, the religious people came to John. They know where to find us, okay? They come accusing, they come talking, they come questioning. And they're asking him all of these questions, investigating him. Now, keep in mind, Messiah uh, fever was raging. In other words, people were looking for the Messiah at this time. Everyone's looking for the Messiah. Everyone knows about the Messiah in the Torah. Everyone's looking for this, this man that's going to come and free the Jewish people from Roman rule. So it wasn't like abnormal to look for the Messiah. So they come to John asking, is he the expected Messiah? He denies he's the Messiah. Second, they ask, are you Elijah? He denies that he's Elijah, who some thought the, this Old Testament prophet was going to come back as the Messiah or announce the Messiah. So then they ask, are you, well, you're a prophet. He denies he's this prophet, which was another name for an expected Messiah. So they run out of like true or false questions. Like, what are you, John? And they finally ask, who are you? And John answers, this is who I am. I'm the voice of the one crying out in the wilderness. I am a fulfillment to the prophecy Isaiah spoke about. I am the voice of the one as a prophet Isaiah said, make straight the way of the Lord. This is my message. Make straight the way of the Lord. There is somebody coming. There's a, there's a man coming who is the Messiah, the Jewish Messiah, the Lord of the heavens and the earth. And I'm preparing, I'm preparing you guys so you're not shocked when he gets here. Okay. John 1, 24 through 28. Look at this. Let me open this back up here. Look at now those who were sent there from the Pharisees and asked him saying, why then? So now they know who he is. Why then do you baptize if you're not the Christ, nor Elijah, nor the prophet? So the prophet was the expected Messiah. Elijah was an Old Testament prophet. And then the Christ obviously is the anointed one. You're none of these things. Verse 26, John answered them saying, I baptize with water, but there stand one among you whom you do not know. It is he coming after me. It is preferred before me whose sandal strap I am not even worthy to loose. These things were done in Bethabara beyond the Jordan where John was baptizing. So John says, there's one coming greater than me. So once they find out who he was, now they want to know, okay, we know who you are. What are you doing? And why are you baptizing? It was customary for religious leaders to baptize Gentiles that who converted to Judaism, but they didn't baptize Jewish people. So think about this. If a Gentile wanted to convert to Judaism, they would get baptized. Jewish people 
did not get baptized. So like John, John is baptizing Jewish people. So just do a little bit of math in your head. What do you think they think John's saying? John is treating the Jewish people like pagans, which was unheard of and offensive. They're like, why are you baptizing Jewish people? Like, what are you doing? These aren't Gentiles. And the answer to the Pharisees question John pointed them was Jesus, whose ministry would follow, was much greater. So Jesus is much greater than John, and there's a greater baptism coming. And in fact, John said he's no one in comparison to Jesus. Untying somebody's sandals was a job that belonged to the least important household servant. So if you had a household of servants, the least important servant would untie your sandals when you came through the door. What John is saying is I am the least important I'm the most unlikely. I am a nobody. I am just pointing you to Jesus. In fact, Jesus is so much greater. His baptism is so much greater. I'm not even worthy to untie his sandals. I'm less than the least of the servants. Look at that. Now, Jesus said this about John. Not now, but I'll, we'll go into it another time. Jesus said, John is the greatest. John is the greatest Old Testament prophet. He, John the Baptist was the last Old Covenant prophet because, again, he was there before the New Covenant was instituted. And Jesus said, there's been none greater than John the Baptist. So John, in John's eyes, I'm lower than low. There's, I'm not even worthy to be the least servant. Jesus' eyes, John the Baptist was the greatest prophet that ever lived. There was no one greater than John, Jesus says. Okay, so that, that's what was happening there in that, in that scene. Okay, but look at this now. Make sure my screen, this is a little bit new for me doing this on screen. So it's kind of confused me a bit. We'll get through it. If you guys like it better, type one in the chat and we'll keep doing it. Just more buttons I have to click and stuff to move around. The next day, John saw Jesus coming towards him. Look at this and said, behold, this is John the Baptist speaking, guys. The Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. This is he of whom I said, after me comes a man who is preferred before me for he was before me. I did not know him but that he should be revealed to Israel. Therefore, I came baptizing in water. Look at this. The day after the religious people questioned John, Jesus shows up while John is preaching and baptizing. And, J and John introduces Jesus as the Lamb of God. Not the God of the universe, not great creator God, the Lamb of God, the, go the God who came to die for our sins. Now the Jewish people would have recognized the word Lamb of God but they didn't get the true meaning of it because remember they're used to sacrificing lambs as a means to gain forgiveness. It's not an, it's not like some weird concept. They're used to giving lambs for the forgiveness of sins, but as a Messiah, they're not expecting a human lamb to come. They're not expecting the human lamb. So here comes Jesus, the human lamb. John says, behold the lamb of God. This is the guy I've been preaching about. This is the one, he's the lamb of God that takes away the sins of the world. This is, this is groundbreaking here. This is incredible here as Jesus comes. John 1, 32 through 34. And John bore witness saying, I saw the spirit descending. Actually, can you see that? Yeah. I saw the spirit descending from heaven like a dove and remained upon him. I did not know him. Okay, hold on. Let me move this. I did not know him, but he who sent him to baptize with water said to me, upon whom you see the spirit descending and remaining on him, that is he who baptizes with the Holy Spirit. And, and I have seen and testified that this is the Son of God. So John is now declaring that Jesus is the Son of God. Now, very important thing to note is that Jesus was John's cousin. And they probably spent a lot of time together as children and teenagers. When they were children, John did not know that Jesus was the Son of God. 
He didn't discover that truth until Jesus came to him for baptism. So this is not John like conflating and making this up. This is John truly saying, I did not know this, but now John knows this. Now John sees this dove ascending on him and discovers this truth. And God's sign that Jesus was the son of God, the lamb of God, was the Holy Spirit coming in the form of a dove, landing on Jesus as John baptized him. And just in case John missed the sign, a voice from heaven comes. This is Matthew 3.17. It doesn't say it here, but Matthew 3.17 says a voice. As John's baptizing, the dove comes down as the Holy Spirit, and we see the whole trinity right here. So the dove, the Holy Spirit, comes and descends on him. And then a voice from heaven, as he's baptizing him, everybody's there. A voice comes and says this, this is my beloved son, who I am well pleased. So we have the father speaking down, saying, this is my son, the son being baptized by John the Baptist and the Holy Spirit descending from heaven onto Jesus, landing on Jesus. The full picture of the Trinity. Well, the Trinity's not, the Trinity's right there. Literally all three members of the Godhead are right there. We can see them as John is baptizing Jesus, declaring this is the Lamb of God. Jesus is the Lamb of God. Jesus is the Son of God, okay? Again, look at this. The next day, John stood with two of his disciples. This is verse 35. We're gonna go through 39. And looking at Jesus as he walked, he said, behold, the Lamb of God. The two disciples, now these are John's disciples, verse 37. The two disciples heard him speak and they followed Jesus. So they heard John the Baptist say, this is the Lamb of God. Then they heard Jesus speak. Verse 37, they followed Jesus. Verse 38. Then Jesus turned, seeing them following and said, and this is red letters, what do you seek? So he's asking John's disciples, what do you seek? They said to him, Rabbi, which is translated teacher, where are you staying? Verse 39, he said to them, come and see. They came and saw where he was staying and remained with him that day. Now it was about the 10th hour. So here they are, okay? John wrote this book and Andrew were two of John the Baptist's disciples who were with him at this time. Let me, let me rephrase that. I, I think that was confusing. John who wrote this book. Okay, I said John who wrote the book. John who wrote this book, and that book being the book of John, not John the Baptist, could get confusing. So John who wrote this book, John, and Andrew are two of John the Baptist's disciples who are with him. They immediately leave John the Baptist and follow Jesus. And John the Baptist is not mad. John the Baptist is happy. Why? Because the purpose is to point people to Jesus. I don't care that you leave me. My goal is to point you to Jesus. So Jesus wants to make sure Andrew and John are following for the right reasons. So he asked them what they're after. And instead of, instead of answering Jesus, they asked him where he was staying, implying that they could come see him and talk and visit and all that. Jesus invites them to spend the evening. And since it was the 10th hour, it was about 4 p.m. So Jesus says, come spend the evening with me. Now, one commentator said this, come and see that phrase. The Jewish rabbis use that phrase in their teaching. They would say, do you want to know the answer to this question? Do you want to know the solution to your problem? Come and see, and we'll talk about it and think about it. When Jesus said, come and see, he was inviting John and Andrew to not only come and talk, but to find the things that he alone could open up to them. So he was inviting them to follow him. When he said, come and see, he was saying, there's things that I can only I can show you. This was the invitation that Jesus was giving them. Okay, that's just to explain that there. Verses 40 through 42. One of the two heard John speak and followed him was Andrew, Simon Peter's brother. One of the two who heard John speak and followed him was Andrew, Simon Peter's brother. He first found his own brother, Simon, and said to him, we have found the Messiah. So he goes and finds his brother, Andrew, uh, Simon, and says, we have found the Messiah, which is translated the Christ. 
and brought and he brought him to Jesus. So here's the effect. The effect is telling everybody about Jesus. Andrew's so impressed with Jesus, he goes and tells Simon, who's Andrew's brother, about him, and he wants to now tell everyone. This is the effect Jesus should have on us as believers. We should want to tell everybody. When you truly meet Jesus, you go around wanting to tell everybody about the Jesus that you met. If you don't want to tell people, I question if you truly found Jesus. Now, when Peter met Jesus, Jesus already knew who Peter was. He didn't just glance at him and look at him. He knew who he was. His name was Simon at the time. He changed Simon's name to Peter in Greek or Cephas in Aramaic, which means rock or something that is steady and something that is strong. Jewish people who lived in Palestine, Palestine spoke Aramaic. However, most of those lived outside spoke Greek. This is why John translated the word Messiah and Simon's new name into other languages. So it would take, we know, years for Peter to live up to this. But when you look at this, verses 42, did I miss verse 42? Oh, I did. I didn't finish reading. I'm sorry. I didn't finish reading 42. That's why you're confused. Now, when Jesus looked at him, he said, you are Simon, son of Jonah. You shall be, you shall be called Cephas. It's, it's pronounced Cephas, but it's Cephas, which is translated a stone. I'm sorry, I totally missed that entire verse there. So Jesus changes his name to Simon, the son of Jonah, and he says, or he says, that's your name, but now you should be called Cephas, which is Aramaic. Peter is the Greek. So that's why we call him Peter, okay? Sorry about the confusion. I should have finished reading the verse. Verse 43. I'm like, this isn't making sense, but we didn't finish the verse. Verse 43. The following day, Jesus wanted to go to Galilee, and he found Philip and said to him, follow me. Now, Philip was born from Bethsaida, the city of Andrew and Peter. Philip found Nathanael and said to him, we have found whom Moses and the law and also the prophets wrote Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. Look at this. And Nathanael said to him, can anything good come out of Nazareth? Philip said to him, come and see. So what you're seeing is as Jesus is preaching and teaching, everybody's going around telling people about Jesus. He calls Philip who followed him immediately. Philip turned looking for his friend Nathaniel, told Nathaniel to come follow Jesus. And Philip describes Jesus right here in four ways. First, Philip said Jesus was the one who Moses wrote about in the law. Second, Philip said Jesus was the one who the prophets wrote about. Third, Philip said he was the Jesus of Nazareth, indicating where Jesus grew up. And then fourth, Philip said Jesus was the son of Joseph, indicating his humanity. So these are the four things. Nathaniel, doubtful, not really sure. You know, people from Nazareth, let's just say Nazareth was considered like the ghetto. Okay, that's the best way I could describe it. Nazareth was not this palace. There was no palaces in Nazareth. It wasn't like Jerusalem. It wasn't like this big place. Nazareth would be considered lowly. People said, what good could come from there? This was like the ghetto. And how could Jesus come from there? So now uh, Philip's not going to try to convince Nathaniel with arguments. All he's going to do is echo the words of Jesus. The words of Jesus were come and see for yourself. This is what he said. So think about this. 2,000 years ago, I want you guys to hear this. 2,000 years ago, Jesus was calling people to follow him, spend time with him, watch him do ministry, participate in ministry, tell others about him and more. 2,000 years later, he's still calling us to do the same thing. He's still calling us to follow him. He's still calling us to spend time with him. He's still calling him, us to watch him do ministry, to participate in ministry, and to tell others about him. This effect that Jesus has on people would echo throughout human history. The effect that once I receive Jesus, once I encounter Jesus, I want to tell everybody about him. This was the echo that was going through the cities. This is what everybody was talking about. There is a man named Jesus and you got to know about him. He's the promised Messiah. This is the guy everybody's writing about. There's buzz in the town. This man from Nazareth, Jesus is the Messiah. And this is what everybody was talking about. Everybody was declaring 
Oh, and my thing just froze here. Are you guys still with me? John 1, come on. Chapter 1, verse 46. All right, we're back. Did you, I, I think you guys could still see me. Okay, my computer thing froze here. Okay, verse 46. We're going to end here. Um, I'm sorry, verse 47. Well, actually, let's read, uh, let's read 47. Let's do 47 through 51, and we'll end it here into chapter 2. Jesus saw Nathaniel. So now, remember, all of a sudden, calling, Andrew's calling Nathaniel. You've got to come see this guy. Jesus saw Nathaniel coming towards him and said, Behold, an Israelite indeed, whom there is no deceit. Nathanael said to him, How do you know me? Jesus answered and said to him, Before Philip called you, when you were under the fig tree, I saw you. Nathanael answered and said to him, Rabbi, you are the Son of God, you are the King of Israel. Jesus answered and said to him, Because I said to you, I saw you under the fig tree, do you believe? You'll see far greater things than this. And he said to him, Most assuredly, I say to you, hereafter you shall see heaven open and the angels of God descending, I'm sorry, the angels of God ascending and descending upon the Son of Man. Jesus says, Nathaniel, you're going to see far greater things. One commentator said this, even before the introductions, Jesus saw Nathaniel and knew who he was, just as he knew Simon Peter the day before. In calling Nathaniel an Israelite indeed, who there's no deceit, Jesus was referring to one of the fathers of Judaism, Jacob. Jacob was a trickster, but after he met God, God changed his name to Israel, which means prince with God. Jesus' knowledge of him, including the fact that he, there was no deceit in part of his lifestyle, convinced Nathaniel that Jesus was who Philip claimed. God's son, the king of Israel, or the Messiah. Jesus acknowledged Nathaniel's belief in him and told him more revelations are coming, following through on a reference to Jacob, who had a dream about angels going up and down a ladder between heaven and earth. Jesus told Nathaniel that he too like Jacob, are you guys getting the parallel? Would see angels going up and down as the bridge between heaven and earth. Nathaniel would witness Jesus as a ladder between God and man. This is what he's saying. Jesus is the ladder between God and man. Jesus makes a way. Okay. If there is a roof and I can't get on top of the roof, I need a ladder. What is the ladder going to do? A ladder is going to make a way where there is no way. It's going to give me access to something high up that I can't get to. Jesus was saying, I'm the ladder. The angels of God ascend and descend upon the Son of Man. And so I'm going to give you access. Have you guys ever seen this before? I'm going to be the ladder giving you access to God. You're going to see far greater things than this as well. You think this is great? This like word of knowledge, me knowing about you, seeing you under the fig tree before you knew, I saw you knowing all these things, me being the ladder, you're about to see far greater things. And I'm believing that in 2023, my prayer is, that I'm going to see far greater things than what I've seen. This is the Christian life. We go from glory to glory to glory. I want to tell somebody, your best days are ahead of you. You're going to see greater things. Jesus has given you this ladder. We have access to God. We have access to the throne. We are seated with Christ in heavenly places. The same spirit that raised Christ is now awakened us and quickened our mortal body. So we have this ladder now. We have this access to God. You don't need Isaiah to lay hands on you. You don't need a special man of God. You have access to God. You have access to the Father. There's nothing great, greater and there's nothing better than that. Let us pray. Father, we thank you, Lord, for what you're doing. We pray, Lord, that you would put this word in our hearts. We pray, Lord, that nothing would ever come and steal this word from us. I pray over every single person. Let me move this over here. Every single person in the chat. I pray, Lord, that you'd give them an insatiable desire for the word of God. I pray that this tonight would stir up an appetite for the word of God. I pray they would long for the scripture. I pray, Jesus, that we would know you better, that we would know you more, that there would be life-changing power released 
life-changing power released as we preach the word of God. I pray, Holy Spirit, right now that you would do what only you can do in minds and hearts and bodies. Bring healing tonight, Lord. Bring deliverance tonight, Lord. Bring salvation. Bring light. Bring light tonight, Father. I pray the light of God would shine. I pray the light of God would shine right now in your life. If there's any areas of darkness, I pray that the light of God would shine upon you, that his face would shine upon you, that his power would shine upon you. Pray, Lord, pray tonight, Lord, expose the darkness in my life. Lord, if there's any darkness in Isaiah Saldivar, expose it. Cleanse me. Wash me. Renew me. I repent tonight. I change the way I think tonight, God. Open up my mind and my heart and my eyes. I pray right now, Lord, do what only you can do. Do what only you can do. Open my eyes, Lord. Wash me. Cleanse me. In Jesus' name, deliver me from darkness. Overcome, Lord. Your light overcomes darkness. If there's any darkness in me, Lord, deliver me from darkness. Deliver me from darkness. I pray every person in the chat, Lord. Listen, there's 2,500 of you guys right now. I pray over every single one of you. The delivering power of God, the delivering anointing of the Holy Spirit would shine. The light would shine and the darkness would flee. The darkness would go. You have no power, Satan. We come against you. You have no power. You have no authority. The devil is a liar. We rebuke you, Satan, in Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. We pray wholeness. We pray healing. We pray deliverance right now. The light of God, the light in the life of God would just come right now. That you would deliver us, Lord, from evil. That's a biblical prayer. Deliver us from evil, Lord. Deliver us from darkness. Wash us. I don't, guys, I don't want any darkness in me. Think about this. I don't want any darkness in me. Do you want darkness in you? No, of course not. Whatever is hiding, whatever secret sin, we love to hide our secret sin in darkness. We're so good at hiding it. You can't hide sin in the light. You can't hide it out in the open. We hide it in darkness. But tonight, God says his light is going to expose into darkness. I don't want any secret sin in my life. I don't want any darkness in me. I'm not above reproach. I'm not some holier than thou perfect guy that floats around all day on a cloud. Lord, right now, wash me. I'm praying that, Lord, you'd wash me and cleanse me and get any sin out of my life. Sanctify me. Any darkness, Lord, remove it. Shine your light. I want your life. I want your power. I want your anointing. I want it gone. Someone in the chat, Ardita, said, I want it gone. I, or I need it gone. I need it gone tonight. Let that darkness go. And, and what is it that extinguishes the darkness? The light. The light shines in darkness. It extinguishes darkness. In Jesus' mighty name, have your way. Bring healing to our bodies, Lord. The word became flesh and made us dwelling among us. Thank you, Lord, for dwelling among us. Thank you, Jesus, for all that you've done for us. We honor you. We glorify you. We praise you for what you're doing, for, the, for how you're cleansing us. You're giving us fullness. You're shining light into us. We pray right now, do it. Do it, Lord. Those that believe on his name, maybe tonight's your first night to believe on his name, to receive him. Those that received him and believe on his name. The Bible says you get the right to become children of God. I want to be a child of God. I want to be an adopted son, the spirit of adoption, God to adopt me into his family. I want to be a child of God. I don't want to be a child of Satan. I don't want to be a, a, a sinning over and over and being a child of Satan. Lord, I want to be your child. I pray tonight, Lord, give me the right. I receive your name. I receive you. Maybe you're already a Christian, right? And you're just there like, I don't really know. I don't really feel like a son of God. Receive him tonight. Say, Lord, I receive you. I open up to you. I accept you into my life. Whatever you want to do, come do it. I receive you. I receive you. I believe on your name. Remember, God the Father, the Bible says, whom gave Jesus 
the name, gave him the name that is above every name. God the Father gave Jesus, the Messiah, the name that is above every name. There's no name greater. And that, and at that name, every knee shall bow and every tongue shall confess. The Father gave him the name. This is the name that we receive and accept. We receive Jesus as our Messiah, as our Savior. Not just the Jewish Messiah, but the Messiah of mankind, the Savior of the world. The Savior of the world. A real man who's the life and the light, who's creator God. We honor you. We turn from sin. We repent. Change the way you think. It's not a work. Change the way you think. We change the way that we think about the world and about sin and about life and about family and about friends. We want God's perspective. We want God's mind. Father, we want to be your invisible image in the earth. We want our light to shine before men. Let your light shine in us and let our light, as you said, Jesus, shine before men so they can see our works, but glorify you who is in heaven. Thank you, Lord. Do what only you can do. Help us let go. I really feel like the Lord is saying, I feel like the Holy Spirit is, is saying, you need to let go. You need to let go. Some of you are hanging on. You're just, oh, you're hanging on to those cigarettes. You're hanging on to that vape. You're hanging on to that ungodly, unrighteous relationship. You're hanging on to that one thing. And I, I, could hear the, I could hear the Holy Spirit whispering to me, let it go. Let it go. They have to let it go. Tell them to let it go. Let that thing go. I don't know what it is, but you're, you're clinging on for dear life. And you think that that's going to bring you joy. You think that that's going to bring you life and happiness. And God's like, what are you doing? You're hanging on to something that's dying. It's not going to bring you joy or happiness or peace. Right now, let it go. Someone said I put puts vape down. Laugh out loud. I'm serious. I'm serious. Let it go. It's not bringing life. It's killing you. It's addictive. It's what you run to. God is saying, instead of running to that, run to him. Some of you are in an abusive relationship. You know that's not going to be your husband. She's not going to be your wife. Let it go. Let it go. It's bringing you down. Someone said, oh my gosh, in tears. I'm telling you, let it go. Maybe it's social media. Maybe it's a family member. Toxic. Poisonous. Every time you're around them, you drink and party and do drugs and do all that stuff. Let it go. Let it go. Remove it out of your life. Turn away from it. God is saying this to you right now. I'm telling you right now. God is saying this to you. Let those things go. Maybe it's just, man, I can't stop cursing. Man, I can't stop watching porn. Man, I can't stop going here doing this. Let it go now. God is going to give you the power. Marijuana. God is going to give you the power. Let it go. You're smoking. I don't know why I'm so lazy and don't want to read my Bible and fast and pray. Maybe because you're smoking weed all day. You're just like, you have a blunt in your hand wondering like, man, I don't have a desire to pray. Some of you literally, the church has accepted marijuana as like this great thing. It's all good. You can do it. No, no, it's a sin. It's a drug. It's, it takes over. It influences you. When you get pulled over and they say, are you under the influence? It puts you under the influence. I only want to be under the influence of the Holy Spirit. I don't want to be under the influence of drugs. I don't want to be under the influence of alcohol. I don't want to be under the influence of nicotine. I want to be under the influence of the Holy Spirit. Well, Isaiah relaxes me. So does God. Friend, Jesus relaxes me. The Holy Spirit is where I find rest, where I'm relaxed, where I'm washed, where I'm cleansed. Go to him. He's better. Get rid of it. Break it. I'm telling you, it's not worth it. It's not worth it. It makes you lazy. It makes you make bad decisions. Come on. You're all trying to fast over here with the munchies. I don't know why I can't fast. I have the munchies all the time because you're smoking weed. You're eating brownies. You're eating cookies. And you think it's no big deal. It's just a plant, brother. 
Why would God say not to eat it? The first commandment ever in Genesis was don't eat something from a tree. What do you mean? What do you, why would God tell you not to do it? Well, God created it, but he didn't say smoke it. Where did God say smoke it? Just because God made a marijuana plant doesn't mean you're supposed to be smoking it. Do you go around smoking almond branches? Do you go around smoking walnuts? What are you going to go around smoking anything you could find to try to get a high off it? No, no. Just because God created it doesn't mean God said smoke it. So yes, God is telling you not to do it, not to come under the influence. This is not about how close I can get to living like everybody else and coming under addiction. This is about how close I can get to God. I'm not interested in, well, brother, is it sin or not? Why are you even asking that question? You don't even care. About, obviously, you don't care about being close to God if you're trying to, is it sin? Is it not sin? We ask the dumbest questions because we're compromised, because we're lukewarm. Throw it all out, fast and pray, and turn to God and say, I want to serve you radically like the disciples. You really think Peter was over there smoking weed? You think Paul was over? When you read that Stephen got stoned, it was not talking about smoking weed. It was talking about he literally got stoned. They killed him for his faith. Stephen got stoned and you're over here getting stoned. And you're just like, I don't know why I'm lazy. I know why. Let it go. For real, let it go. This is not what it means to get stoned in the Bible. They were actually getting killed for their faith, not smoking weed, not smoking marijuana. We're literally so far from biblical Christianity. We're so far. So go flush it, go dump it, throw it away. Don't give it back to your cousin. Let me just give it back to my uncle who gave me a pound of weed. No, don't give it back. Throw it away. Throw it away. Well, maybe don't flush it because you might clog up your toilet. But well, don't burn it either because you might get high off of it, okay? Go throw it in the trash. Put it in a trash bag and throw it away. Go take it out to the curb. Go take it out to a dumpster out there, you know, in the back of Jack in the Box. Well, maybe not because you might get arrested. But go get rid of it. Go get rid of it. Get rid of it today. Whatever it is. Hey, listen. I'm going to make some people really upset here. Maybe that's a guy you got to let go of. Maybe you got to break up. Well, Isaiah, he has a six pack. Who cares? Who cares about a six pack? He's ungodly. He's not a man of God. He's not living right. He's not holy. He's not for you. He's, he's weak. He's weak in the spirit. He's weak. He has no, no spiritual muscles. Some of you ladies need to stop being so concerned about physical and start being concerned about the spiritual. Let it go. Let him go. There's, there's a man of God out there with you, for you, that has a six-pack, okay? Stop. Stop. And some of you guys are like, well, you don't even understand. You know, we've been together. I don't care. If God says let it go, you need to let it go. It's going to, one of the first things God told me was to break up with the girl I was with for four years, who I planned to marry. And God's like, not your wife. Let her go. Guys, I'm telling you right now, please hear what I'm about to say because you're like, you don't know what I'm going through. I was with her for four years. If I, I'm telling you, I'm facts. The fact factory is open right now. This is a fact. This is a fact. If I did not break up with the girl I was with for four years when God told me to, I got saved and God said, break up with her. And I broke up with her over a text message, which is like the number one rule you don't do. If I didn't break up with her when God told me to, I promise you that I would not be here today. I would not be serving God today. I would be right back in the world. The fact that I'm here today was a result of yes, yes is to God saying, yes, I'll do that. Yes, I'll do that. And God directed me, get rid of this. Go do this, go do this. Break up with her. Don't associate with them. Don't go out and do this. You're going to fall. God directing my life. He directed it or else I would not be here today. So what if, what if you're the next Isaiah Saldivar in the sense that if you disobey God, 10 years later, God's going to use you to reach millions of people. And you're going to be like, I would have never reached those people if I didn't say yes. That's why your yes matters tonight. 
That's why your yes matters tonight. Your yes matters. Your yes matters because other people's lives are at stake. The millions of people God's used me to reach are at stake. So it might hurt right now. She might not understand. Would you tell her? I told her that I, we need to break up because I don't even know who I am. I'm searching for who I am. I'm searching for God. God's changed my life. And so I don't even know right now what I'm doing with my life. God has awakened me. God changed me. And I can't be trying to lead you when I'm trying to figure out what God's doing in my life. So we broke up. We went different directions. And God, uh, God healed me. And God restored and did all that stuff. But I had to be obedient. When God said, give this up, give this up. I literally got rid of everything. I was like, Lord, I don't have nothing left to give but my shirt on my back. And I can't give that up. I mean, I had nothing. I gave him everything. I gave him my career. I was like, okay, I won't do this anymore. You change my desire. You want me to be a preacher and not a police officer? I gave it up. Now, don't give up something God's not telling you to give up because maybe God's called you to be a police officer. But if God is saying, give this thing up, then you need to give it up. Mariah said 10 days sober. Thank God. Mariah, I believe you're going to be 10 years sober, 20 years sober, 100 years sober in Jesus' name. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. What if you had six kids with her and she was your wife with her and she your wife now? What if you have six kids? I wouldn't because God told me to give it up. It wasn't God's path. It wasn't God's plan. God had the right wife for me and I was dating the wrong person. That wasn't my wife. God said, she's not your wife. Break up with her. Obviously, God knew she wasn't the right one. She was going to bring me back. And I thank God I was obedient. Tonight is your night. Let it go. Let it go in Jesus' name. Thank you, Lord. I know that was a little sermon there, a little rant, but there it is. If you guys want to sew into tonight, you can. I'm supported by this. Okay, we were live for an hour and a half. If you're listening on audio, you can give at isaiahsaldivar.com slash partner. You can give on Venmo at isaiahsaldivar, or you can give in the links in the podcast show notes. Thank you so much for listening to this week's episode of the Revival Lifestyle Podcast. If you like what you heard, go to www.isaiahsaldivar.com for more content. And please follow me on Facebook, YouTube, and Instagram at Isaiah Saldivar. See you next week.